Did you know that all visas can be cancelled or refused because of character? Did you know that a serious offence means something very different between criminal and migration lawyers? Did you know that time limits are strict for visa cancellations? My name is Stephanie and I'm here with my colleague Dewey today and we're solicitors in the immigration team at Legal Aid based in the head office in Sydney. Today we'll cover the basics of the most common type of visa cancellation, 501 cancellations, and triggers for a mandatory 501 cancellation. Most crime lawyers may have already come across one or two, but if you haven't yet, it might be hard to know where to start when your client tells you that their visa was cancelled. There's also a chance that it might be a different type of visa cancellation, but unfortunately we won't cover that today, but it's something for you to look out for in the future. For the most part today, we'll concentrate on the who, what, where and when of 501 cancellations, the reg regulatory framework and the seriousness of this visa cancellation, and share some tips and tricks for both new and old players. As a starting point, it's important to know there are two types of 501 cancellations, discretionary and mandatory cancellations. Section 501 of the Migration Act sets out the grounds for which a visa someone's applied for could be refused, or a visa someone already holds can be cancelled because of their character. There are a number of factors that can be considered when assessing whether a person meets the character test that involve an exercise of discretion by the decision maker. And sometimes people are given an opportunity to comment on their character before any decision is made to refuse or cancel a visa. But for crime lawyers, it's more likely that clients will be subject to a mandatory cancellation without any exercise of a discretion. Now, if this happens, the visa is automatically cancelled, and when the person is notified of this, they can seek a revocation of the decision to cancel. But they only have 28 days to do this, which is one of the most important messages we want you to take away today. These mandatory cancellation decisions are common and will be the focus of our discussion, where we'll go into details about what triggers these, these decisions and why this 28-day time limit is so critical. So a good question to start with, Steph, is who can be affected by a 501 cancellation? Pretty much anyone in Australia who holds a visa, and that's any type of visa, whether you've lived here for 10 weeks or 10 years. You might be here on a short-term temporary tourist visa, for example, or a long-term permanent visa where you've come as a refugee and settled in Australia for a long time. Some people have visas cancelled they didn't know they had. I can really only think of two categories of people who wouldn't be affected potentially by this provision, and that's Australian citizens who don't hold a visa, and people in Australia who become unlawful because they don't have a valid visa that can be cancelled. Well, so it's useful to mention to, at this point that visa cancellations are conducted by the Department of Home Affairs, so you'll see their details on the letterhead of visa cancellation documents. Yeah, it's helpful to know for clients and solicitors just to have some idea of what the cancellation documents are about because a person is going to receive a large amount of documents when this happens. Absolutely. Clients are hand-delivered uh, just a large bundle, usually about 100 to 200 pages, and they're meant to make sen sense of it, including all the legal jargon. Now, I've got a copy of a letter from the department here uh, relating to a recent mandatory cancellation that I advised on. Now, I'll just read out the subject line. Um, and this is what the client's meant to decipher. Uh, it reads, Notice of Visa Cancellation under Section 501, Part 3A of the Migration Act 1958. Uh, I'll paraphrase slightly the next bit. Uh, Section 501, 3A of the Act is a mandatory cancellation power 
and it provides that the minister must cancel your visa if the minister is satisfied that, one, you do not pass the character test under Section 5016A because you have a substantial criminal record, according to Section 5017 Parts A, B or C of the Act, or two, you do not pass the character test uh, because you have been convicted of one or more sexually based offences involving a child, etc. Now, that's just one part of the first page. The, the entire letter is seven pages and there's another ten attachments to this letter, uh, which makes me think, how is a client meant to make sense of this, Steph? And really, what is a 501 cancellation about? So Section 501 of the Act, as I've said, sets out a character test and there's a list of different ways a person may be deemed to not be of good character and fail this test. The Section 501 sets out when a visa may be cancelled because of a person's character and also occasions when it must be cancelled. So this is Section 5013A you just mentioned in your letter, which specifically states where a person does not pass the character test because they've committed certain crimes or they have what's called a substantial criminal record, their visa is mandatorily cancelled. This kind of letter you've described is giving notice to a person that their visa has been cancelled, and in these cases, the decision's already been made. It's mandatory under the Act. From that point of being notified, the person no longer has a visa. The reason people are sent this long bundle of documents with this notice is that although their visa has been cancelled, they are able to request revocation of the visa cancellation. Uh, not many of my clients uh, know what the word revocation means and I usually explain that they just have a chance to ask for their visa back at that point. Exactly. This language is really difficult for people to process. It's basically requesting a reversal of the decision and to have that visa reinstated. This is the opportunity for a person to explain why their visa should not be cancelled, even though they have failed the character test. Not only is the language confusing, but there's also no obligation for it to be translated if a person doesn't speak English, which is a common misconception we hear in our practice, that people assume they don't have to respond until this, to this important legal document until it is provided in that person's language. And usually difficult for our refugee clients. Uh, I've just found that anybody who doesn't have English as a native language will, will just won't understand the documents. And in this large bundle of documents is a form which is the invitation to request the revocation. And this is the part that must be made within 28 days for it to be considered, the request to have the, rev the revocation. Outside of the time limit, any you know request or supporting documents attached to that request is going to be deemed invalid and the decision to cancel the visa can't be changed, the person will be left without a visa. We'll come back to what is helpful to talk about when requesting revocation a bit later, but often the biggest challenge we have when we're receiving requests for immigration advice from clients is trying to make sense of the documents they've got before them that we can't always see and trying to figure out if their visa has been cancelled under this part of the Act and that they need to get a re revocation request in on time, if so, before we can even get into the circumstances of the offence or, or their behaviour or, or mitigating circumstances. If it's another type of refusal or cancellation decision under a different part of the Act, a different time limit may apply and, and a different process may be involved in, in seeking a review. So the most important thing is to identify as early as possible what kind of notice has been given under what part of the Act so we know what needs to happen before the time limit ends. Uh, Steph, you mentioned before the term substantial criminal record 
and this is one way for a person to fail the character test, what, how is that defined? That's also contained within Section 501 of the Migration Act, um, under Part 7. So it just outlines in that part of the Act that a person has a substantial criminal record if they've been sentenced to either death, life, a term of imprisonment of over 12 months, or two or more terms of imprisonment that are in total over 12 months. A substantial criminal record even includes if someone's been acquitted of an offence due to unsoundness of mind or insanity and that person's detained in a facility. Some of the serious crimes we've seen include murders, child sex offences, commercial trafficking, sexual assaults and almost always these lead to a mandatory 501 cancellation since they attract such heavy sentences. But they're not the common ones. No, unfortunately not, Steph. The most common ones are the shorter uh, end of the 12 months and usually a short non-parole period. That's right. Drug offences and assault make up the highest number of 501 visa cancellations. But we also regularly see common assaults, afraid, domestic violence offences, even multiple traffic offences getting caught under this definition of substantial criminal record. This is where we see a big difference across sort of ideology and opinion across the areas of law as to what is considered a serious offence and a substantial criminal record because a mandatory cancellation is triggered wherever one or more terms of imprisonment total over 12 months. So it's the duration of the sentence that's the trigger there, um, not necessarily just the offence itself. Yeah. And it's that second last one you listed before, Steph, which I think is tricky, two or more terms of imprisonment. And it happens often when when there's more minor offending. Now, I remember a client I spoke to some years ago had had a six-month sentence for stealing a mobile phone in 96 and a further nine-month sentence for a fraud uh, in 2016. And he failed the character test and received a visa cancellation. Uh, And I guess another one that comes to mind was a fellow last week I spoke to who was serving two concurrent sentences of six months each uh, for common assault and refray. And unfortunately, this was calculated as a 12-month total sentence. It's really tough because Part 7A is explicit about concurrent sentences. Um, The actual example they use in the legislation to calculate is two concurrent sentences for three months each is calculated as a total of six months. So it's important to look out for these shorter sentences as well because most people just hear and assume it's only a single month, 12-month sentence that will lead to mandatory visa cancellation. Another thing to be wary of is how imprisonment's defined in the Act as well. Yeah, that's important. I'm, I'm reading the legislation again here in front of me, and right at the bottom at Part 12 of Section 5.1, it's defined as uh, to include any form of punitive detention in a facility or institution. Now, this one always gets me because the defi- definition is, is as broad as you can get. So, for example, a, a scenario I've seen before, a, a year ago a person is sentenced to a two-year ICO, Uh, He recently breaches the ICO and is now in custody. Uh, A few weeks ago in June, he he receives a notice from the Department of a Mandatory 501 cancellation. Now, one of the curious things about this matter is that you wouldn't expect a person like this, a a first or second time offender, uh, to have their visa cancelled. Yeah, that's right. And and a lot of clients that we've advised in our team um, often have a history of relatively minor offending. And some of the broader statistics on the use of this power reflects this. Um, nationals from the New, from New Zealand and the United Kingdom make up the highest number of recent 501 cancellations. And it often is for a history of relatively minor c- 
crimes. Um, when the definitions in this character test changed in 2014 and we saw a massive jump from 73 cancellations in the previous financial year to 1,278 cancellations in the next financial year. I think that's almost a 20-fold increase in cancellation, which unfortunately explains a lot of our workload, actually. So let's go back to the to that person with the two-year ICO, um, which takes us to the next part and next question of our podcast. So the question is where? Where do 501 cancellations occur? How come this fellow didn't have his visa cancelled when he was first sentenced to the the ICO and has only now received the cancellation? Yeah, that's a really good question and and something that's important for crime lawyers to know about too, even if you're not, you know, obviously advising someone on the the nature of the migration issue. But under Part 3A of Section 501, the mandatory cancellation power can only be used when the client serving a sentence and is physically in a custodial institution. It's often criminal lawyers who have contact with the client in the lead-up to a conviction as well and who are aware of the possible sentence that, that may come about. Ideally, a person could get some immigration advice at this point, so they're on notice about what could happen and, and how a potential sentence may impact their visa. But we also really want to see people referred for advice urgently as soon as someone's getting a letter from the Department of Home Affairs about, you know, a notice about their visa to figure out all these complex issues and confirm what's going on. Which takes us full circle back to the most important topic of when. And when do clients have to respond to the department? What sort of timeframes are we looking at, Steph? As we spoke about before, when clients are getting this bundle of documents from the department, it's often both a notification that their visa has been cancelled as well as an invitation for them to request revocation of the visa cancellation. There's usually also a form to fill out um, containing personal details and sometimes other attachments that may relate to the offence history. In all of these documents, the request for revocation is the one that has the 28-day time limit and it is a strict time limit no matter how extreme or compelling the circumstances are why a person doesn't get it in on time. There's just no capacity to hear those arguments once the 28 days is done. Now, now 28 days may seem like enough time but in our experience clients struggle with uh, sending in their request a lot of the time. Now, there's a number of reasons. There are often delays with having documents served on clients or if clients have been transferred to another facility or long bay uh, and documents just take that extra time to be delivered, sometimes uh, days or weeks. Um, When clients have the documents, they likely don't understand them uh, and have limited support from SAPOs, especially during COVID-19. Yeah, it's really challenging. There's so many variables about what may lead to delay or or difficulty in, in sending through a form. I've seen a few matters where the client has at least, you know, got what they need to sign and, and got it ready to be submitted, but due to things, um, you know, sometimes outside their control, there's delays with that form physically being sent back to the department. And in those cases, if it doesn't reach the department until after the 28 days, it's invalid. Yeah. So I know that my information that I give to inmates receiving a 501 cancellation whether they receive it one day before I talk to them or 14 days after um, receiving the decision, uh, my advice is to send their revocation request ASAP. The earlier, the better. That's right, and that's why we're stressing so much about the 28 days in, in this 
conversation just because it is so critical and, and just so commonly not appreciated how strict this time limit is. Um, it's just so important that people get their requests in as soon as possible. Um, if if you're not able to do that and the visa, as we said, it's, it's already been cancelled by operation of law, it means that the person loses a pathway to ask for it back and after they're removed from Australia, they won't be able to return. So I guess we'll go on to the next part and ask, you know, when does this process really begin? And generally, the client's visa won't be cancelled until they're sentenced. So in practice, you're not likely to see a visa cancellation while a client is on remand. Now, even once they are sentenced, there's kind of no specific point in time when notices are sent to, cl- to clients. But usually a client will receive the documents a few months before becoming eligible for parole. So I've just found this is common because it just fits logistically uh, for corrections and the department uh, in transferring a client from custody into immigration detention. And it makes me realise that uh, the left hand does talk to the right hand sometimes. Uh, However, there are times when uh, they don't communicate and I've seen 501 cancellations happen as soon as the person starts serving a five-year sentence. Now this puts the client and corrections in, in a dilemma since if the client appeals a decision to the Administrative Appeals Tribunal, uh, it will be up to Corrections to organise the client to attend the tribunal in person, and I, I, I very much doubt they appreciate that at all. Definitely not. Um, and, and look, that's why, you know, in trying to provide an overview of how this provision works, we, we can't give, um, you know, the most precise information about when someone will be served with this notice because it's not prescribed and we do want to give people advice preemptively about what may happen as a result of a particular conviction or sentence but then also to to warn clients about this as well that just to be very aware that um, there's no exact time they may receive any such notice and we really need to speak to them as soon as they do and to be ready for that. Agreed and always better safe than sorry given how harsh the requirements are uh, for a 501 cancellation. Yeah, and in and in the case that you do get your revocation request in on time and, and, you know, prepare your arguments, provide any supporting documents, explain the reasons that, that you think support your case, um, if in the end a final decision is made not to revoke the cancellation, there is another time limit to be aware of. If the department decide not to revoke the visa cancellation, meaning the cancellation of that visa remains, the client could seek review of that decision not to revoke the cancellation. It's important to know, though, that there's two different people who can make that kind of decision I'm describing. So the decisions are either made by a delegate of the Department of Home Affairs or the minister personally. If the decision is made by the delegate, and you will know this from the decision, it will it will clearly state who has made the decision. The client can apply for review at the Administrative Appeals Tribunal, which essentially gives them, you know, a second chance to present the reasons they think support their case. But there's a really strict time limit of nine days to get the application in for review to the Administrative Appeals Tribunal, and that again cannot be extended. It's a strict time limit. It normally costs $956 to apply in that part of the AAT, but the good news for clients in prison or immigration detention is that the fee will be reduced to $100. They do need to be able to make that $100 application fee, though. The bad news is if the Minister for Home Affairs personally makes the decision, 
the right to seek review at the tribunal doesn't apply. The only potential avenue is an application for judicial review in the Federal Court of Australia, but obviously that's a very complex and separate matter, possibly for another podcast. Um, Now, we've spoken a lot about the framework for these visa cancellation decisions and how they come about, uh, but we also wanted to touch on some of the things for you for you to keep in mind when working with your clients, uh, which is likely to be relevant for the clients later on if their visa is cancelled. Now, the first thing is probably sentencing submissions that you may make about your client uh, as to any mitigating circumstances surrounding the offence may be very valuable uh, later on during the visa cancellation process, uh, especially if these submissions are given weight in sentencing and there is something positive to refer to in the sentencing remarks. Yeah, that's right. That that can be essential in, in trying to support a person's case for revocation. There is a ministerial direction that sets out exactly what the primary and secondary considerations are in determining whether to revoke a visa cancellation. So there there is a framework um, set out about what information will be relevant and the different weight placed on, on those considerations. Our immigration team at Legal Aid do have several resources we can send to clients to help guide them through this and explain to them that framework too um, so that they know what they need to prepare and, and support their revocation request um, and just to help um, explain to them the important issues they need to address. Um, but generally speaking, uh, a decision maker when they're looking at the revocation request is looking at the seriousness of the offence uh, the risk of reoffending, and and therefore the risk to the broader Australian community. Now, they'll also take into consideration a few other important factors, including uh, the client's social and family ties, and the strength and nature of ties in Australia, uh, especially where there are children involved, um, as well as the strength of their connection to their own community and the efforts to rehabilitate and show remorse. And rehabilitation is really important because they are looking at risk of reoffending, and obviously a big part of that is the steps a person has taken to either engage in, in some kind of training or supports to ensure that they won't be at risk of reoffending in the future. Um, but something to keep in mind with this crossover between the criminal law space and migration is that you may advise your client of of some rehabilitation options they could undertake on parole or at the end of their sentence, but if their visa's cancelled before then, they're not going to be able to access these options. If if the visa's cancelled while they're in a prison, at the end of the sentence, they will be moved to an immigration detention facility at the end of the sentence, and they won't have those options available um, that other people may have in a parole setting. It may be beneficial to look, therefore, at you know rehabilitation or support programs that can be undertaken at the earliest opportunity. So depending at what point you're engaging with the client, just keep that in mind that if there's a visa holder who's potentially going to be ending up on this path, that the more they can do you know, mm-hmm. as early as possible, the better. There's also some other complex side issues um, regarding the visa being cancelled under 501, and then being unable to complete some work and training programs during a custodial sentence, which is, again, beyond what we're going to talk about today in this podcast. Um, But just a reminder not to rely on your usual types of advice that that might apply to everyone or the considerations you may have more generally when thinking about 
training and rehabilitation options when your client's someone who's not a citizen of Australia. Mm. Um, and that's really good information, I guess, for all, all crime lawyers, old and new, um, to take into consideration when they're helping their clients. Um, and unfortunately, that's uh, all the time that we have today uh, for today's podcast. Hopefully, Steph and I have managed to break down a, a usually complicated crossover of uh, of crime and immigration law so that you can appreciate the framework of 501 cancellations. Um, for, for anyone who's listened in, hopefully you can also take away one or two of our key messages today. Yeah, hopefully what's, what's come through really prominently today is our issue with the strict time frames that are involved with visa cancellation matters and that if a client misses this deadline um, to reply, not only does it affect the outcomes we can achieve overall for the client in all their legal matters, but they're potentially going to lose their chance to have their visa reinstated. Um, so when, you know, today we've, we've gone quite specific in looking at 5013A mandatory cancellation provisions that really look more at the length of, of the sentence as a trigger, but that's just one piece of, of visa cancellation issues that can occur. So just keep in mind, the most important thing is being able to quickly identify what's going on um, and just assisting your client. If, if you're in a position where you can see those documents or can see the potential for them coming in or have the relationship with the client that you're learning this information, hopefully directing them to us or, or another source of migration advice, knowing that, that this is the framework that um, exists for them and, and the potential consequences. And also remember, we've got a lovely immigration team here at Legal Aid that is available for advice. And, and if any crime lawyers have particular questions, we'll always do our best to, to try and help. So thank you for listening.